0: Amen. Lord, that is our heart. We are so desperate for you, Lord, because you are everything and we are nothing without you. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us, Father, to remain in that place of constantly seeking your face in desperation for you, in in total love with you. You're a great and an awesome God. We pray, Lord, now as we go to this time in your word that you would be our teacher, minister to every heart that is here. We thank you again for each of those five precious children, Lord. We dedicate their lives to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, because you're going to need one. We'll be happy to loan you one. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 15, and Lord willing, and I say Lord willing, we're going to finish up Romans this morning, all right? So if you don't, again, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to get you one, And, and please feel free to take that home as our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, or if you just happen to like that one better. Alright, as everybody's getting settled, real quickly, I'm going to catch you up. Alright, I'm not going to take a lot of time, because we have a lot to look at this morning. But Romans is a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. It's called an epistle, which is just a big word for a letter. And it was written to the church in Rome, a church he had actually never visited, and he was giving to them biblical truth. And as we've been talking about week after week, he first talked about doctrine which is just, again, a big word for truth. He talked about the doctrine of sin, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Then the doctrine of salvation, that yes, we're sinners, but Jesus died for us. Then the doctrine of sanctification, that not only did He die for us, but Christ now, as a born-again believer, lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So not just living a saved life, but a set-apart or a sanctified life. We then saw the sovereignty of God, that God truly is in control of all things, that we can trust Him. Can I encourage you with that, that no matter what's going on in your life right now, God is faithful, He's in control, and you can trust Him. So the first 11 chapters speak of doctrine, and then chapter 12 through 15 really speak of duty. Okay, now that I know these things, now that Christ is living in me, now how am I supposed to live? What's my life supposed to be like? We've been talking about that over the last several weeks. Now this morning, we're going to finish looking up at... At duty itself how we are to live now that we've been born again we're set apart in Christ we're filled with the spirit of living God but we're also going to look at the demonstration of that in the love for people I titled the message this morning a passion for people and it's great that the last chapter as we get to it this morning really we see his heart and his burden Paul's heart and burden for people Because all the doctrine and all the the duty in the world and all the biblical truth in the world is meaningless if we don't have a love for people. Amen? We have to remember that Jesus came because He loves people. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. His passion is for you and His passion is for me and He loves us. And so sometimes we can get really caught up in all the doctrine and forget that all of it points to people and how we ought to minister to people, and love people, and serve people, and lay down our lives for people. We're also going to see this morning, as we look at the people that Paul hangs out with, a great example for us. You truly are like those you hang out with. You've heard me say this many times. You want to know what kind of person you are? Look at who your friends are. Look at who you hang out with. And we're going to see who Paul's friends were, and the kind of people that he gravitated toward. So this morning, we're going to again pick up in the last, we're going to look at verse 22 through, through the end of 15, and Lord willing, all of chapter 16, as we look at a passion for people. And first, we're going to see Paul's desire for fellowship, even with people, he has not even been to their city yet. He has some friends there, but he has a passion and a desire to fellowship with people he hasn't even met. We're going to see that as he has a passion for people, he's willing, and they're walking in unity, he's willing to share his burden. You know, that's one of the greatest things that ought to happen in the body of Christ, is we ought to be able to be transparent with each other and say, man, can you pray for me? Paul, one of the giants of the faith, asked for prayer in this morning's text. We're also going to see a supernatural love that we'll have for one another, the ability to recognize those who come in to bring division, and the fact that, again, we are co-laborers in Christ. So let's begin in verse 22 of Romans chapter 15, as we look at a passion For people. Now last week he talked about in the first part of the chapter, bearing one another's burdens. The word there is also to build up. We ought to be building each other up, not tearing each other down. Amen? We ought to be encouraging each other in our walk, strengthening each other in our relationship with God. Then he told them to receive one another as brothers, regardless of background. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. It doesn't matter where you live or, you know, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, What you might be, God loves us all. And God desires that we would reach out and receive one another as family because when we've got Jesus in common, we've got everything in common, no matter else, what else we don't have in common, amen? It doesn't matter. that stuff's irrelevant when it comes to knowing Christ. And then lastly, he did encourage them to admonish one another, which simply means to exhort or encourage. We should love each other enough that if I'm struggling with something, you have my absolute permission. As a matter of fact, I would encourage and exhort you to do so, to come to your pastor and say, Pastor Dave, I see this in your life and it concerns me. We need to be accountable to each other. Do it always in love, never pointing fingers or self-righteous, but coming to each other and say, Man, I'm concerned about you because I love you. And so that brings us to this morning, and we're going to see Paul's heart, beginning in verse 22, as he has desire to go to this people he's been writing this long letter to, he's now about to sum it up, and he begins to share with them how he has a burden to come to meet them, to see them. Verse 22, for this reason, I've also been much hindered from coming to you. He was hindered from coming to them because the previous verse says, he would not build on another man's foundation. Paul was a man who wanted to reach people that nobody else had touched with the gospel. He wasn't trying to build the biggest church in town. His heart and his passion was for those who had never heard the gospel before. He wanted to go and and build a church in a place where there was no church, where there was not one person serving God. And Paul knew that when you did that, that persecution would come with it. He says, I've been hindered in coming to Rome. You guys have a church there. You guys are blessed there. Your church is growing there. God's doing great things there. There's places all over the world where nobody, where people have not heard the name of Christ before, and I'm called to go there first. Before I come and build on another man's foundation, I want to go to a place where there's nobody ministering the truth. And that had hindered him from coming. Verse 23. But now no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if I may first enjoy your company for a while. Paul's desire is that he might stop in Rome for a visit on a later planned trip to Rome. Paul had a desire to fellowship with his brothers and sisters in Rome, though most of them he had never even met. You know what I found to be awesome about being a part of the family of God? Again, when we've got Jesus in common, we've got everything in common. And I've met people in line at Disneyland. And by the time we get to the front of the line, we are knit together as brothers in Christ. Because you start to talk to somebody, maybe they see a Christian t-shirt on, or they hear you talking about the Lord, and oh man, where do you go to church? And you start talking, and you you have Jesus in common. And there's such a joy in that. And I have to confess, when I go to different places, I look forward to, to meeting new believers. It's exciting to me because, again, we have the Lord in common. I'm going to be going back to India, Lord willing, here in October. When I went last year, I just looked forward with such great anticipation to meeting brothers I've never met in my life, but have a passion for God who are serving the Lord with their whole heart, and I can't wait to go and minister to them as I know they will minister to me. This is how Paul felt. Man, I can't wait to come to Rome. I want to, I want to hang out with you guys. I want to spend some time with you. I want to get to know you. You're my brothers. You're my family. It would be no different than if you found out that you had a long lost brother or sister. Maybe given up for adoption as a child that you never met and then all of a sudden you find out that that child is is nearby. You would run to go meet them because they're your family and the same is true of us spiritually. When we have Jesus in common, again, blood is thicker than water but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. I love you guys like family because you are my family. Amen? And that's how Paul felt about the church in Rome. He longed to go there to see those who had Jesus in common. Verse 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those in Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed that they are their debtors for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things their duty is also to minister to them in material things while Paul would have loved to have gone to Rome to visit believers he had another calling on his life at that time and it was to go to Jerusalem where they had come together the church there had come together they had put all things together had all things in common and now because of things going on they, they were they were poor they, they were hurting financially and Paul had gone to the Gentile churches and gathered up a, an offering and was taking it to the people in Jerusalem. And though he physically wanted to go visit Rome, he knew that the calling God had on his life for that moment was to go and minister to the physical needs of the Jews. Now I love this, the Jewish Christians. Now I love this because the Gentile Christians who the Jews once called dogs, who used to be enemies of one another, now they're ministering to each other. The Jews had been the one through whom the Messiah had come, and the Gentiles were blessed. And now because they had been ministered to spiritually by the Jews, they wanted to minister physically to them. They'd received, again, the spiritual blessing of both the Word and the Messiah. And Paul was a man who was faithful to God's calling, not his own desires. Again, sometimes we want to go do something, but God has something else for us. And you know what? We need to learn to trust Him and do His will, not our will. And Paul said, you know what, I'd love to come see you, and when I come to Spain, uh, Lord willing, I'll have a chance to come see you, but right now God's got a calling on my life to go to Jerusalem, verse 28. Therefore, when I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I should go by the way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Paul was a man with vision, and Paul said, you know what, I know when I come, that when I do come, I'm going to come with God's blessing. And God is going to make our time together fruitful. You know, Paul didn't fully understand how he would come. How did Paul end up coming to Rome? In what? In chains. Remember? He was arrested. Book of Acts. He was arrested. He was drug away. They had to protect him. People were trying to kill him. People had made vows that they wouldn't eat until he was dead. And he was brought into Rome in chains. But you know what? It fulfilled this verse because when he got there, what did he have an opportunity to do? Those of you who went to Israel with us, we sat in the very amphitheater where he was brought in and all the royalty of Rome was brought together and all the kings were brought together and all the people brought together and they came to accuse him and he said, oh, opportunity for the gospel. Paul loved it when he was persecuted because he knew that man; he'd have a divine appointment and an audience with somebody to share Jesus. And so they brought him in, they had him chained up and they said, okay, we accuse you and then what do you have to say for yourself? And Paul just said, let me tell you about Jesus. And I love it. When he was chained up in prison, what did he do? Oh, divine appointment, you're not going anywhere. I got you for eight hours, man, here it comes. Jesus loves you, right? And you know, when they changed shifts, it was like, okay, new guys. And Paul's heart and his focus and his passion was doing the will of the Father. And he said, you know what, when I come to you, I know I'm gonna come to you. I don't know how I'm gonna come, but I know when I come, I'm gonna come in the fullness of the gospel. Because you know what, everywhere Paul went, He went in the fullness of the gospel. You could not get this guy to stop talking about the Lord. You've heard me say before that a fanatic is defined as somebody who you can't change his mind, and he won't change the subject, right? You can't get him to stop talking. He won't shut up, and you can't get him to change the subject. He just won't do it. You talk to him, and he just keeps talking, and that was Paul. Paul said, I'm coming in the fullness of the gospel. It doesn't matter where I am, I'm going to be talking about Jesus. May that be said of you and I. Amen? May it be at work or in our neighborhood or in the grocery store or wherever we are. You know what? I I want to tell you something. People in this county don't witness enough because nobody has ever tried to witness to me. Ever. I'm blown away. I'm just waiting for somebody to come up and start telling me about Jesus. But nobody ever has. So I think if that's the case, there's probably a lot of folks walking around Santa Cruz that are in the same boat, that no one's ever told them about Jesus. May we walk through Santa Cruz in the fullness of the gospel. Amen? May it be pouring out of us. May we provoke people to jealousy with the love that we have for God. So Paul says, when I come, I'm going to come in the fullness of the gospel. He wasn't too busy doing other things. He knew that God had appointed things for his life. Now watch this. I like this. Verse 30 through 33. Now, I beg you, brethren, he's speaking to the people in Rome, through the Lord Jesus Christ and to the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Now, Paul's this guy that most people, again, would say if any man was sold out for God, it was Paul. He ended up writing most of the New Testament. This guy went from being Saul of Tarsus, murderer of Christians, to sold out for God. But one thing we see here that I really love is this quote, giant in the faith, was not afraid to ask people to pray for him. You know what? It's not weakness that asks for prayer, it's strength. Amen? It's when we realize, you know what? I need your prayer. I need you to strive with me, to come alongside me. We need to be co-laborers in Christ. And can I share something with you? Sometimes people say, well, I don't want to ask for prayer then I'll come across as weak or I don't want to ask for prayer then people will know that I'm struggling with something. Let me make it real clear for everybody. Everybody in this room is struggling with something. Amen. We are all sinners saved by grace. And we are to pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. And you know what? I pray for you guys. If you're in the bullet if you're in our directory, you get prayed for every single week. And you know what? If you don't tell me what you need prayer for, I pray for you anyway, but if you do tell me, then I can pray specifically for you. And you know what? I love Paul's heart that Paul says, you know what? I'm writing a letter to you and giving you instruction and doctrine, but I'm still asking you to pray for me. That's a sign of somebody whose heart and desires to grow in the Lord, isn't trying to put up false errors like he's perfect. I don't struggle with anything. That's me, perfect. When you're like me someday, then you you won't need prayer either. But I can pray for you. Me and God, we're real close, right? And there's this whole thing that goes on. like we need, But guys, we need prayer. We need those to encourage and, and intercede on our behalf. That's what the Lord designed the church for. Verse 31 and 32 that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. What does he ask for? He asks for deliverance in the time of difficulty. He asks that those who do not believe would hear his truth, that the work that he does would bear fruit, and that he would be able to come to them and fellowship with them in joy. You know what, everything that Paul asks for is something that's focused on doing work for the Lord. He doesn't say, get me out of these chains. He doesn't say, I need a I need a real soft pillow or I need a you know a nicer chariot to drive or anything like that. You know, he's not naming it and claiming it. He's not going chariot, chariot, chariot. He's not doing that, right? What is he doing? He's saying, pray for me that as I do ministry that it will be fruitful. Pray for me that I will be delivered from the enemy in times of difficulty. Pray for me that I might be able to come to you and we might be able to rejoice together. His prayers are for not physical comfort, but spiritual blessing. Now, I believe it's okay, as long as we keep the perspective right, to pray for God's f- provision. As a matter of fact, the Lord tells us to pray for His provision, but not to pray for such comfort that we're so comfortable in this world that we're ineffective in reaching people for the one that is to come and paul said i i want you to pray for me but here's what i want you to pray for and then he said now the god of peace be with you all amen paul ends this section by commending the people in prayer praying that god would be with people again people he had never met you know what you truly can pray for people halfway around the world, people you've never met when you've got the Lord on your heart, when we have the Lord in common and a passion for them. So now we're going to see his passion for people. Because not only does he say, I have a burden to come to you, not only does he say, I have a burden that you would pray for me, but, he's, but now he begins to greet people in Rome that he knows. And this blows me away. Because I love this guy, and I'll tell you a couple reasons why. One, Paul, what has Paul been doing? He's been traveling, and everywhere he goes, what do they do to him? They roll out the red carpet, right? Paul's here! Da, da, da. No. They're whipping him, they're beating him, they're, they're putting him in chains, day and night in the deep, and starvation's often. I mean, the guy goes through it. But at the same time, this blows me away that he's never been to Rome, but he's going to greet 26 people in Rome. Now... How does he know these people? These are people that he has led to the Lord or ministered with in other cities, and he knows that they are in Rome now. It blows my mind that this guy, so busy about God's work, still is keeping track of his friends, of where they live and where they are and what they're doing. This is the sign of somebody who's praying, sign of somebody who really cares for those he's done ministry with. You know, may that be our heart for each other, amen? Maybe we'd be praying for each other and, and holding each other up, and Paul knows where these guys are. Paul's literally preached to hundreds of thousands of people, maybe leading, you know tens, probably leading tens of thousands, if not more, to the Lord, and yet he keeps track of the individual. That's the heart of somebody who's really a pastor. He doesn't just see the crowd, but he has a burden for the individual. And we're going to see the kind of friends that Paul had. Again, walking in the Spirit, we have Jesus in common, and there's this supernatural bond and love for one another. Again, it's all about saving people, and Paul has a supernatural burden for people. He wasn't just a soul winner, but he was a friend maker. You know what, as believers, I believe that we ought to be the friendliest, most outgoing people on the planet. Amen? Amen. Now, maybe it's not your personality to be real outgoing. Pray and ask God to help you, because He will. Amen? You know what? God wants us to be salt and light. How can we be salt and light to people we don't ever talk to? Amen? People say, well, I'm, I'm ministering in my neighborhood by just being a really good neighbor. How do you do that? I mow my lawn. I make sure my lawn's really nice. I keep the music down. I'm a good neighbor. Hey, guess what? They need to hear the gospel. Amen? You need to... Take a pie to your neighbor and tell him about the love of God. Invite him to church and minister to him. And Paul was a friend maker. Christianity is not on isolate, and we're not to be isolated. We don't go sit up on a mountain and wait for Jesus to come back. The Lord saved us that he might use us for his glory. We ought to be out there making friends with people, ministering to people. And that's exactly the kind of man that Paul was. When we come together, we worship the Lord, we're equipped by His Word, we encourage each other, and we're all sheep, and sheep, what happens to a sheep all by himself? He's in big, big trouble. And God has called us to flock together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's look at verse 1, let's begin to look at this list of Paul's friends. I, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Chantria, Now here's what's interesting. Phoebe is going to be the one that actually delivers the letter that Paul is writing here to the church in Rome. How much do you think he trusted this woman if he handed her this letter and said, take it to the church in Rome? Big time. And what I love about this is Phoebe, her name means radiant. He says, I commend her to you. And then he says, our sister and a servant. Our sister, a born-again believer in Christ, a servant. The word there is diakonos, where we get the word for what? Deacon. Deacon. Servant. There are deacons, and I believe also the Bible would teach deaconesses. What is a deacon? A deacon is a servant. A deacon is somebody who serves in the, you know, the, the physical tasks of the church so that those who are called to are freed up to minister in the spiritual task of the church. But it also says the qualifications for a deacon is somebody who is of good reputation, who is filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And look at this, that's the kind of woman she was. She was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, a servant of God, Paul's friend, Phoebe. And he sends her to the church in Rome and hands her the letter and says, I want you to take this and bring it to to the church that is in Rome. Again, as we continue to look at the people that Paul hangs out with, we're going to notice the kind of man that he was, because he hangs out with people that are like-minded. You know, it's interesting that writings of the early church fathers said that the deaconess' jobs were to visit the sick, to help young women grow in the Lord, and to tend to the, fo- to the poor. So to be someone like her would be say, to say, I'm called to minister to the sick, the poor, and those who are young in the Lord. You know what? We need more Phoebes today. And I'll also say this, I believe we have quite a few Phoebes in this church right now who do minister to people in a physical way, who are not seeking for anybody to notice, who just want to love and serve and lay down their lives and they do it quietly and you don't even know it. And the only reason I know it is a lot of them minister to me in a real physical way. When I show up and my office is spick and span clean, I'm like, oh, so, Phoebe's been here, right? <laughs> Somebody came in without talking to me, and clean my office spotless, because I didn't do it, I promise you, alright? And there's other things like that where it's just doing it as unto the Lord, and doing it so, and it does, it blesses me because it does free me up. That's time I don't have to spend, I'm studying instead, and they do it quietly as unto the Lord. May we have more women like Phoebe who reach out to the younger women. It says there that you may receive her in the Lord. Receive her in the Lord, literally for the Lord's sake. And in a Christian manner, into communion, conversation, and in affection. Again, Jesus in common, everything in common. You receive her in the Lord. When we have the Lord in common, there's an immediate relationship. In a manner worthy of the saints, and a sister in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many, and of myself also. A sister whatever she has need of you. Care for her and her needs. And she's been a helper of many. I can think of nothing greater to be said of a believer. A helper of many. He said, "Paul, speaking of her. says, she's helped many and myself also. Literally, the word there for helper is a protectress or a, a patroness or, or an assistant. A woman who selflessly and fearlessly ministered to the needs of others. The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? The servant of all. And she was that kind of a woman. And those are the kind of people that Paul loved to hang around with. People who are like-minded in their passion to serve God and minister to others. It's no wonder that Paul not only commended her to the believers, but he entrusted her to deliver this letter because she was this, a very godly woman with the heart of a servant who sought no recognition and again... May, we, may God raise up more Phoebes. Verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. Now, he begins to greet those who were in Rome. He knows that Priscilla and Aquila are there. He met them in Corinth. And how did he meet them? They made tents together. So Paul didn't just go out in the street and witness. Paul was a witness at work. Paul ministered to people when he was at work. You know what? The number one reason you have the job you have is to be a witness there. Now, God will use your job as a means of supporting your family, but the number one reason you're there is to be salt and light to your co-workers. Billy Graham is not coming to your office anytime soon. Amen? But God has you there. It's interesting. There are several people in this room right now that... Were my co-workers or people that I sold advertising to, we built relationships in the Lord, and now we're co-laborers in Christ. What a a blessing that is. And I want to encourage you, you know what, if if there's no Bible study at your work, pray about starting one. And let every, you know, don't be ashamed of the gospel at, at work. And Paul had these fellow workers, Aquila and Priscilla, we don't know for sure in the Bible that he led them to the Lord, but I believe he did. And I believe after he led them to the Lord, they not only were building tents with him, but they were building the kingdom with him. And Priscilla and Aquila are an awesome couple. Because what I love about these guys is every time you see them, number one, you see them together. It's never just Priscilla or Aquila, but it's a husband and a wife who are fellow workers in Christ, who are totally sold out for God, who minister alongside Paul, but also are ones who are faithful in ministering together. They're one flesh. They're united in ministry. They're a ministry team. This husband and wife are a ministry team. Everywhere they went, they did ministry together. You never see them alone. What a a testimony to their marriage. Amen? That they were like-minded, not only in their love for each other and their love for God, but then in their heart to do ministry. It says there, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. They risked their lives for Paul. That's a servant. Some of us say, "Yeah, you know, I'd lay down my life for you." I've had people tell me that. I've told people that, and my heart would be, and I would hope this is true, that I would lay down my life for any one of you. But you know what? If we will lay down our lives for each other, how come we're not praying for each other? Isn't it a little easier to pray for somebody than to die for them? Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, Pastor, I die for you. Okay. Have you prayed prayed for me this week? Well, I didn't really have time. Right. (laughs) I laid down my life, but prayer, that's just a little thick, right? Here's the reality. If we would die for each other, we should be praying for each other. We should be ministering to each other. We should never be too busy to go and help one another, amen? And so he says here, they laid down their lives. They stuck their necks out for me. Man, I'll tell you, that's somebody you want to do ministry with. I'll tell you, I love the fact that each of the guys that are pastors here in ministry are, are not only co laborers with me, but they're my friends. And I love them, and I have great relationships with them, and I love being in fellowship with them, and I know that they would die for me, and I would die for them. And I'll tell you what, it's a great encouragement when you're doing ministry to have co-laborers like that. And that's what Paul had. They would lay down their life for him. They had literally stuck their necks out for him. Not only did they risk their own lives, but we know they discipled a man by the name of Apollos. We don't have time to go into it, but they ran into this young man who had a great amount of zeal who was preaching an incomplete gospel, and they didn't blast him and say, are you dumb or what? They pulled him aside and said, Apollos, you have a great amount of zeal, but let me sh- tell you the rest of the story. Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? Let me give the rest of it to you. And then they discipled this young man and sent him back out, and he became a mighty soul winner, used mightily by God. If we see somebody who has a great amount of zeal, but they're, they have an incomplete understanding of the word, don't blast them, minister to them. Amen? And that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. It says also there in verse 5, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So not only did they lay down their life for Paul, not only did they have hearts of servants, not only did they do everything together, but they were hospitable. They opened their home to be used by the church, no doubt viewed it as a privilege. And praise God, we've got a lot of families in this body who view their house as God's house. And they say, you don't use it, it's God's house. You want, yeah, come on over to my house, it's okay, it's great. And God bless you guys. And you know what, that's the right perspective. And Priscilla and Aquila had church in their house. Can you think of anything better to do with your house than to have church there? When we lived in Lancaster, we were blessed to have a, a house where we had a swimming pool and a big backyard. And for about eight years, we had every baptism in our backyard. And I'll tell you, we don't live there anymore, but the greatest fruit in that home was we baptized people in that backyard you know, four or five times a year. I even had tile put on the bottom of the pool that says, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, when I had it redone. And, you know, we were there just last week, and it's still there, so praise the Lord. You bought the house, you get, unless you want to put $20,000 to redo the whole pool, you got Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life on the bottom of your pool, so God bless them. But here's the thing, may we use what we have for God's glory, amen? And Priscilla and Aquila said, we live for the Lord. Everything we have is the Lord. Our house is the Lord. Our lives are the Lord. If our lives are the Lord's, doesn't our stuff belong to Him too? I'm wearing God's shirt and God's shoes, and they fit me pretty well, but here's the thing. They're all His. And we need to learn to hold lightly to the stuff that belongs to the Lord. You know what? Priscilla and Aquila, their names mentioned just brings a positive thought, blessing and encouragement. You know what? There's another couple I thought about in contrast. Priscilla and Aquila, you think, oh, sold out for God. Ananias and Sapphira. You have the same kind of thought come across your mind? Ananias and Sapphira came together to deceive God and his people. And God struck them down dead. Now, I don't mean to be too direct, but whose marriage is yours like? Amen? I mean, are you guys sold out for God together? Or are you, you know, bickering, fighting, and deceiving the Lord and putting on a Christian face at church? You know? screaming at your wife all the way to church right oh we're at church now let's be Priscilla and Aquila all right Ananias be be Priscilla now okay right all right Sapphira all right let's let's turn it all around and put on our Christian face right praise the Lord brother God bless you give my wife a hug right you know what God knows who we are at home amen And God desires that we be Priscilla and Aquila all the time, not just in Sunday morning for an hour and a half. That's about as long as I can stand her, right? No, that's not God's heart. Which marriage is yours like? Priscilla and Aquila were a testimony to God everywhere they went. Then he says here in verse 5, My beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Achaia is also another word for Asia. And you know why Paul points this guy out? This is the first guy Paul led to the Lord in his missionary journeys. You think this guy is special in Paul's heart? Without question. You know what this tells me? When you lead somebody to the Lord, you don't just pray a sinner's prayer with them, but you're responsible to disciple them. Amen? And Paul knew where this guy lived. Years had gone by. He ministered to hundreds of thousands of people, but this first guy he led to the Lord, he knew was living in Rome, and he said, man, greet him. Let him know I said hello. I'm praying for him. How's he doing? I love him. Why? Because I had a chance to lead him to the Lord. If you've ever led somebody to the Lord, you always remember the first one. You should remember them all, but you specifically remember that first time. It's such an awesome privilege to lead someone to Christ. Verse 6, greet Mary, who labored much for us. Again, another woman who labored much. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who were in Christ before me. He points out this man and woman who are fellow Jews who had been in prison for their faith, and again, who even the apostles spoke of glowingly. The apostles said, wow. Man, they're sold out. And he says, man, you greet them for me. Those are my friends as well. I know where they are. You know what? They were in prison, and they knew God even before I did. Again, look at the friends he has. Look who he's hanging out with. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Again, Amplius, it's interesting, They found a tomb dated back to the end of the first century, the first and earliest Christian catacomb in Rome, and there's a tomb with this guy's name on it. And many people believe it's this guy right here, living in Rome with this name. But again, he's beloved, much loved by Paul. We don't have all the details of why, but again, who does Paul hang out with? People who are sold out for God. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stasius. My beloved, again, fellow workers and those who are beloved, greet Apollos, approved in Christ, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Now it's interesting, he says Apollos, Apollos, many believe this could very well be that same Apollos I just told you about. The Apollos who was led to the Lord by Aquila and Priscilla and then had gone out and was sold out for God. And then it says here that he's approved in Christ. How are, how are you and I approved in Christ today? How are we approved in Christ? He said, this guy, Pelos, is approved in Christ. How are you approved and I approved in Christ? 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How are you approved to God? Spend time in His word. This guy was approved to God because he had been a man with an incomplete gospel, and now he knew the truth, and he was a man of the word. Then it says here, it's interesting, greet those in the house of Aristobulus. And it's, some commentators have said, interestingly enough of this guy, that his, fa- his household was greeted, but he was not. This guy was the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod was the one that had all the babies wiped out trying to kill Jesus because he wanted the Messiah to die. This guy was his grandson, and based on the way this is written, it's, it seems that everybody else in his family was saved but him. rest of his family came to know the Lord, But he did not. He was one, again, who had this heavy background. You know what, though? It's interesting. It points again that his family was saved. And like many today, God, church, and religion is good for their family, but not for them. I pray this morning there's not even one Aristobulus in this room that said, you know, I'm coming here for my kids. I'm coming here for my family. Can I tell you something? Jesus died for you. And you need to have a head-on collision with Jesus Christ, amen? You need to understand that you're a sinner and you need to be born again. May it not be like Aristobulus, may it not be said of your home that God greets everybody in your house but you, amen? May we have an entire house set apart to God. May we all be like-minded in our homes. May we be the spiritual leader. He missed out on such an incredible blessing. Verse 11, greet Herodian, another relative of Herod the Great. My countrymen greet those of the the household of Narcissus, who is in the Lord. Herodian, a descendant of Herod, a fellow Jew, had been born again in spite of his family. I want you to see that. Too often we say the reason I'm not walking with God is because my family's dysfunctional. Can I tell you that every family that ever existed is dysfunctional? Because the word for dysfunction is sin. Amen? The first family, Cain killed Abel. You want to talk about dysfunction, amen? The first two brothers, one killed the other. And too often we can say, well, my my life's a disaster because of my family. Herodian, the Herods, were his relatives. What kind of family did this guy have? He didn't enter into therapy, amen? He didn't go down to the, you know, the Herods Anonymous class, right? What did he do? He gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he was a new creation in him, Amen? And we don't have to look back at all this stuff. And the reason I'm struggling is because of my past and my parents and my grandparents and my upbringing. And when you're born again, you're a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Amen? And you keep moving forward with Him and leave that stuff behind. You've been forgiven. God's taken care of it. He doesn't talk about it anymore. He think, doesn't think about it anymore. Why are you? Amen? Don't go back and crawl into the fetal position and be, you know, be born again, not reborn on the floor. Amen? That's what God wants for us, all right? And so we see here this transforming work. And again, who are his friends? People from every different background, but people who've given their lives to Jesus Christ. Greet Trophina and Trifosis, who have labored in the Lord. Again, these, I believe, almost, maybe they believe probably sisters and maybe twins. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. And notice quickly, who labored in the Lord, who labored much in the Lord. You know what? There is a note of how much we serve God. And we don't serve God so we can be famous with men, but we serve God to be obedient to the Lord. And God does notice those who serve Him. Amen? He knows who's serving Him and who's napping. Amen? And God desires that we would serve Him. He saved us. It says in verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Rufus... Many believe, is the same Rufus of Mark 15, his father was a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. What did Simon of Cyrene do? He carried what? He carried the cross. He had come from far away for, pa- for this Passover feast, and when he gets there, he, this Jesus falls in front of him. He thinks, oh no, I'm going to be defiled by carrying this criminal's cross, and instead he does something that we're still talking about thousands of years later because he was available. Most people believe this is his son. Rufus, who's now, again, a lover of God. How could, you not, how could you carry the cross of Christ and not become a lover of God? Amen? He saw, Simon saw what Christ did for him. Rufus saw what Christ did for him. It says here his mother, his own mother as well, no doubt. Simon, relating that to her, had a, a love and a relationship with God. He says his mother and mine does not mean that it was his actual mother, but that she had been one who had ministered to him. Not his natural mother, but one who had endeared herself to Paul. Who, who's Paul hanging out with? People sold out for God. Verse 14. Astacritas, there we go. Pray for your pastor. Asacritus, phlegon Hermas, Pedrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philo, now I like this name, Philo Logus. Now, you might say that's a weak name, but you know, hey, let me tell you what it means. Philologus, come here, Philo. Right? It sounds like you're calling your dog. But here's the thing, Philologus. His name is awesome. Those of you moms that haven't had your babies yet, you know you can contemplate this, right? <laughs> but let me tell you what it means. Philo or Philos, where you get the word Philadelphia, means love or lover, and logos, word. His name means lover of the word. You like it a little better now, don't you? Amen? So, Philologus, what a great name, right? Lover of the word. Again, they don't say a lot about these guys. And Julia, Nurses, and his sister, Olympus, and all the saints who were with them greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. So, again, each of these people that is mentioned by him are people that are sold out and set apart to god and matter of fact this young man by the name of Nerus here is a man who was executed for his faith because he was so sold out for god he wouldn't back down and they killed him now who is paul hanging out with who are you hanging out with and notice here it says they greet one another with a holy kiss the more culturally equivalent today would be with a hug you come to calvary chapel more than once i'm going to hug on you i know some of you don't like it but i'm gonna hug on you anyway all right I pray for you all week, so I'm going to hug on you on Sunday and Wednesday when I see you, all right? And that's the way it ought to be. We're family. Shouldn't we hug each other? Shouldn't we be excited to see each other? we got Jesus in common. And He said to them, you greet each other with a holy kiss. We're almost done. Let's finish up here. It says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. You know what? He not only commends them to those that are like-minded, but He points out those who, are, who bring division. If we're to walk in unity and we're to be sold out for God, we've got to point out those who would divide the body of Christ. And how do they divide? He's not talking about the division over meat and veggies or meeting on Saturday or Sunday, which we talked about earlier. He's talking about dividing the body of Christ over those things which are significant. The word note those is the word to take heed, to look on them, to scope out those who are divisive. You know, one of my callings is your pastor is to keep an eye on the flock and make sure there's no wolves in here trying to divide the body of Christ. And what they do, and first of all, you know when a divider comes to your church, they don't come up and tell you that. By the way, I just started coming here, I'm planning on dividing this church right in half. I'm going to get work, get to work today at the baptism. It's going to be great. I'm going to single some people out and I'm going to start pouring out my stuff on them. It's going to be wonderful, right? What they do is they just literally, look what it says here, look at verse 18. Those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. Now the word for simple does not mean uh, dumb. It means those who are new in the faith. So they seek out those who are new in the faith, who aren't as spiritually grounded yet. We've had this happen in this church. Where you know, somebody starts calling and inviting all the young couples over to their house and starts filling them with this lie. And you know what? I'll tell you what. You want to see your pastor get angry. Righteous anger, right? The reality is that wolves kick them out of here. I mean, we love you guys, but when someone comes in to try to destroy and harm and take people away from the kingdom of God, he says very clearly that we're to take those dividers and send them out. Those teaching a false Jesus. You know what? When the JWs come to your door, the Mormons come to your door, you don't have to let them in. Here's the reality. You Most of them have made up their mind. If they're open to talk, that's fine. If they're not, you're just entertaining a lie. Just avoid them. You know, I'll pray for your salvation, but you know what I ask a Mormon when they come to my house? This is the Bible. Is this the authority? Well, we believe in the Bible. That's not what I ask you. Is this the authority? Well, we kind of think the pearl of great price in the Book of Mormon. Well, God, you know, have a nice day. Because the reality is, if they don't believe in the authenticity of the Bible, and if it's not the authority, we're going to talk in circles for hours and waste everybody's time. Amen? And so what we do instead is, what about all the people that are hungry to hear the truth? Let's go talk to them. Amen? Instead of fighting and battling with those who've made up their mind to follow a lie. Avoid them, he says in this text. The word there could literally be throw them out. Verse 19. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Guys, we need to be wise in the truth and simple in the things of the world. You know, this whole doctrine that's out today that says we need to know all the stuff that the world's going through, and we need to be able to relate to it, I disagree with that, amen? You don't have to go to a strip club so you can relate to your friends, amen? You don't need to go down to the bar and have a beer with them so they think that you fit in. You know what, I want to know as little about that stuff as possible. I don't need that stuff in my mind, how about you, Amen? Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. He says, put your mind and your focus and your passion on the things of God. Be wise in the things of God. Know what the word says and be ignorant when it comes to the world. The fact that I don't know all the, you know, the movies coming for the Academy Awards and I've never watched them. I used to catch heat at work. You know, praise God I'm ignorant. Amen? You didn't see that. I didn't see any of them. You know, praise the Lord though. It's okay, right? Oh, you're ignorant. I wouldn't do well on a game show because I got all this pop culture stuff and I don't know it give me the bible category and i might be okay right amen but the reality is may we be wise in the word and ignorant in the things of the world we spend all this time i want to be a i want to be a you know a genius in the area of this well is it profitable spend your time in the word read the book don't wait for the movie right amen being the word of god It says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. And I love this, that the battle's already been won, you guys, amen? And we don't need to fight Satan, God already is going to take care of him, amen? We're in a spiritual battle, we just pursue God and say, God, you take care of him. I'm pursuing you with my whole heart, I don't need to sit here and talk about Satan and talk about Satan, you know what, Lord, you got him, you're going to crush him. I'm just going to follow you, and I'm going to just serve you, and I'm going to honor you. And there's too much in the church today, I believe, this fascination with Satan. He's a defeated foe. God's going to crush him, right? It's going to be like cracking a walnut under his foot, right? Just going to crush him. And so the God of peace is going to crush Satan, and don't you love that he's the God of peace, crushing him? Amen? Because he's the God that's going to bring peace into the world. We're almost done, guys. Thanks for your... We're going to finish this up. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertuus, who wrote the epistle, greet you in the Lord. So Paul actually dictated this, and Tertuus wrote it for him. Many believe that because of Paul's problem potentially with his eyes, that he often dictated and somebody else wrote it for him. It still is inspired by God, but again, it's included right here in the text. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greet you. He's staying in this man's house, and this very same man is a man who has the church in his home. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, gre- the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of God of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then, lastly, his benediction as he's closing off this letter. What does he say? Now to him who was able to establish you according to my gospel. And the preaching Lord Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever, amen. As he concludes the letter, it's believed that Paul picks up the pen here himself, and he begins to write from his own heart, and what does he say? Paul ends by commending the, the believers in Rome and about the revelation of the mystery. The mystery is found in, and our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures. The truth is made known by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word reveals truth. It calls us to walk in obedience. And then lastly in verse 27, to God alone wise. How many of you here think you're wise? You're not. Amen. In comparison to God, you're not. He's wise, we're not. He's everything, we're nothing. This is why we must be desperate for him. Amen. And he gives this list of all these sold out on fire believers. Then he says, and God alone is wise. Just in case you started to get puffed up on all the things I said about you in the letter, God alone is wise. So in closing, what have we learned this morning? What have we seen? It's an awesome thing. Paul has a passion for people. The result of doctrine and duty is a burden for people, a love for people. And we see here that he's got a desire for fellowship. He shares his burdens with one another. He has a supernatural love and is bound to others. He's able to recognize those who would come in and be divisive, and he really reaches out to his friends. Let me ask you a question as we close. Who are your friends? Who do you hang out with? You know... You look at Paul's friends and he, and he desired to be with those who love God because he loved God. You know what? I really don't have a whole lot of time to talk about a lot of other stuff. When I hang out with my friends, we're talking about Jesus most of the time. Is it okay to talk about baseball? Sure it is. Is it okay to go to my son's little league game? Is it okay to have other passions? Yes. But not if anything is more passionate in my life than my relationship with him. Amen? Because the reality is I run out of stuff to talk to. With unbelief. If I talk to them about the Lord and they don't want to hear it, we don't have a whole lot to talk about, because that is the He is the passion of my life. Amen. And Paul said, I hang out with those who are just like me, and so do you. Who are you hanging out with? You know what? You start being sold out for God. One of two things will happen with the crowd around you. They'll all get saved, or they'll stop hanging out with you. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell the kids in youth group, you don't have to get rid of your friends. You just be sold out for God, and they'll get saved and be like you, or they'll run away from you. Amen. And in either case, it's all good. So may we be those who have a passion for people. Amen? I want you to know that the Lord loves you and I love you. And it's my privilege to pray for you. And may each of us look around and find someone who's new every week. If your pastor can't get to him, you get to him and you love on him. Greet him with a holy hug. Amen? Make them feel welcome and a part of this body. It's They shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for just the the blessing and the truth of your word, and just for the awesome epistle of Romans. We thank you, Lord, that in this epistle we've seen doctrinal truth and things we're called to do, but also, Lord, the love that we are to have one for another, the passion we're to have for the lost, the passion we're to have for people. Lord, we know the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. May that be the passion of our life. Lord, we love you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being patient. Stand up. Let's close the worship song.